XX Equals is a focused, user-centered innovation collective within Canadi Ford, and this is our podcast. Our aim is to close the gap between perception and reality when designing for women. So jump in and join us as we talk to some of the leaders, experts, and trailblazers in this space. Hello and welcome to XX Equals. So I am joined today by one of my favourite people in the world and most definitely my favourite podcast guest, Nat Mayer. So Nat and I first met probably about four or five years ago now, um, shortly after Nat had established the brilliant Ken in the Gap. And I think I called you up and I said, Nat, I want to help you with this, but I'm not going to tell that story. I'm going to leave you to do that. So could you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about Kerning the Gap? I would be delighted to. Hi, Mel. You're also one of my favourite people in the whole world. So I'm not there. I'm loving for the next half hour, shall we? love you. Um, my name is Nat Mayer, I'm the founder of Kerning the Gap and I set up the organisation about five years ago, is that because you say mum, to get more women into leadership positions in the design industry and quite rightly Mel phoned me up and said I don't know who you are, I've never met you but I love what you're doing, can I help? And we met in a coffee shop in London and we led off about all the experiences that we had both gained over the previous kind of 15 years of misrepresentation and underrepresentation in the design industry and um, have been thick as thieves ever since. And Mel now heads up the regional programme for Kerning the Gap, which has chapters now all across the country, which is a fantastic thing to see. But we've still got an awfully long way to go. Yeah, yeah, we have. We absolutely have. And I think I shared with you a few months back now about the, our plans for XX Equals and to establish a female-focused innovation and design consultancy, which actually is centred around female consumers. And we're calling it female-focused because the team is not all female. I think it's very important to talk about that. Our core team in the business is 75% women in XX Equals, but 100% female design allies. And the reason why it's not 50-50 is some interesting reading, and actually this was featured in Caroline Criado Perez's book, Invisible Women, about how women often, when they're in teams where they are 50-50, they don't have as much of a voice or they don't feel as confident in some of those situations to, to raise their voices. And whilst I'd like to think that at KD and XX Equals, our culture is very um, very much about being inclusive and respectful, I've also still created that balance because I feel that we have been underrepresented for such a long time that having that advantage in terms of the majority of the team, but not all the team being women, we are with this instance, particularly as we're focusing on female products and services, we are representing a good a good diverse subset of uh, of our uh, sort of population and of our business so I'm really excited about what we're trying to do um, I don't think there's anybody else certainly not in the UK who's doing this at the moment um, I've seen some examples of businesses focused around innovation or sort of more front-end who are sort of female-led female-focused teams but actually in our industry and um, particularly around industrial design, we know that the figures of rep- representation of women in design teams and uh, across engineering are around 
Mm. And yet these are the teams who are designing products, often focused specifically at women. Um, So we've got a bit of a challenge on our hands, um, but we are hopefully going to start having those uncomfortable conversations which are necessary to start addressing some of the issues that we've got in our industry and start looking at how we can actionably change that. And I know that you've been talking about this for the last five years because I've been listening and nodding a lot in the background. So I'd be really interested to hear from you about what you think is important in terms of, of why we need that diversity and then how we can start bringing that to the front in our teams. Well, you've got, I mean, it's madness, isn't it, that there is such an underrepresentation of female designers designing all of the products and services that the entire world uses. It's criminal, in fact. That doesn't mean that guys can't design something for women. I mean, designers do pride themselves on being able to empathise and put themselves in people's shoes. So actually, what we're talking about is, it's not the skill set, but it is the representation of ideas. And I think that goes you know our key subject is diversity for women that's that's our lived experience we're both middle class white women so we also check the privilege that that comes from but we're talking about diversity across the entire piece a diverse group is a productive group it can only be because you are sharing views from a mixture of different backgrounds and if you're designing for a broad base of consumers why wouldn't you want as much input as possible from those that are going to have similar experiences to the users so it the the benefits and the value of it I think are really obvious I feel are we not beyond not you me but why aren't we beyond annotating why there's value in it you know I've rejected the commercial conversation of why we should have more women in leadership and I give you as long as you want on that um and I went to a really inspiring talk probably about five years ago on International Women's Day um at King's University and I saw this brilliant woman Scarlett Brown she was talking about women on boards and she said all of the message at the moment is have more women on your board and your business will make more money and she said, what do we do if we start losing money? Just get rid of the women. So like, this is not a financial issue. This is a humanitarian issue. And I immediately became uncomfortable with the commercial conversation. Of, and she said, what we're doing is we are compensating the patriarchy for giving up the power that they have held by default. Have some women, but it's OK. You'll make more money. That will be the reason to give up some of the power that you've had. So I completely divorced Kearney the Gap from anything to do with the commercial output. And it is a humanitarian issue of having more opportunities. Where I feel female and where we've always talked about it is the challenge you've got with industrial design. Across the broader piece of graphic design, we have 70% of design students are women, but only 17% become leaders. That's a specific issue, but at least we've got a pool of them to start with. You don't even have women coming into the industry in which to pick and choose who to put in your teams and then who to put in leadership figurehead roles. It's interesting that because actually I think there's been quite a lot of progress in terms of universities, but there's clearly and creating more diversity in terms of the pools of students. But clearly there are various sort of things that occur. And I'm not going to go into that in a great deal of detail because that's a whole nother podcast. Um, which mean that women don't end up in design businesses 
uh, and often in-house or agency consultancy side. Um, and there's a whole raft of, of challenges around that. And, and then obviously the ones that do make it, which are a much smaller minority than in graphic design, for example, mm-hmm. um, then the, then you they, they drop out of the industry a lot quicker. Because I think, you know, if I think about um, that leadership path, I could probably off the top of my head think of about, I don't know, a handful, not a lot more, but a handful of really strong agencies that are, are run by women in graphic design, you know, mm-hmm. sizable agencies, where um, I asked a recruiter this question yesterday, who works heavily in our industry, um, how many women he knew in industrial design running consultancies and he said only you so there isn't that um even that kind of small representation within industrial design do you you think that there isn't because your pathway to becoming the md at kd wasn't as studying as an industrial designer no and my pathway to being the roles that i've had i'm not a designer either no if I had been looking up into the world of work, I would never have told you I was going to run design agencies. I'd have gone, I can't draw. That definitely won't be me. So the accessibility of all of these other different roles and pathways where women can come towards industrial design or design and representation of the shaping the future of our world can take many different paths and so we don't have to be so reliant on women wanting to design in industrial design we could make that much more accessible by you not having to be an industrial designer even the doesn't industrial design need a rebrand it does it does and it has various various incarnations and descriptions that accompany it which seem to be changing consistently but um it's a good point you make that because i think there are two parts you know you and i came up um, probably more the traditional business path, where certainly in my case, if you're uh, more in that front-end strategy and then sales roles, a lot of people who end up running businesses come from financial sales backgrounds because um, they probably, in my case, the loudest. Um, but equally, I think there are these two areas which both need a lot of consideration around female design leadership in industrial design, product design, you know, whatever we want to call it, and women who are running businesses in that space. Yeah. And I, I think they're both significantly underrepresented. As part of the, the exercise I undertook in XX Equals to find allies, I went to, into company's house and um, looked through some of our competitors as to who had women sat on the board. Um, I couldn't find any. So um, I couldn't find any. I think I found one, but I think she'd resigned um, from her the directorship. Um, I'm not. I have no idea why. But um, so, I, apart from obviously at KD on our board, we're 50/50, um, and our SMT is 50/50. So there's clearly an issue around people dropping out of the industry because if they can't be it, they you know if they can't see it. But equally, yeah. I refuse to believe that you know there are all these kind of you know men sat in their ivory towers going, "Isn't this brilliant? Look at us all here. We all look the same. It's fantastic." <laughs> I don't think for one second that's actually what's happening. I think, and we've talked about this before, I think some people probably don't care and they are um, there. there is that percentage. But equally, I think there's a lot of people who would like to change it, but don't know how to begin. Yeah. And, and I know this is something you've spent a lot of time thinking about. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really important that although I've called out the patriarchy within the first 30 seconds of speaking, I don't believe that men are the enemy. In fact, they're, if anything, they're the solution. Um, we need to come together um, in a completely agnostic way and solve the problem. And by the way, they run 82% of our businesses. So we need both their power and influence to create the change that's here. Um, I have been continuously encouraged since day one for the allyship that has been um, afforded by the men in this industry. There are rotten apples, of course there are, but there are some really pretty terrible women in our industry as well. So please, men, don't feel any kind of, you're not carrying the burden on your own. I've got plenty of examples of people who are working against the system and, and, and creating toxic environments. Um, so I, I agree with you, Mel. I don't think they're sitting there thinking, well, this is this is good. Let's ride this way for as long as we can get away with it. In fact, I think a lot of them are carrying huge amounts of guilt and wanting to understand how they can be a force for change and, and shape it for the better. Um, and the, the answer is none of it is quick. None of it is cheap and none of it will happen overnight. Um, but there are positive steps that businesses can take to improve their diversity. I think I was just having a conversation with another agency who asked me to come in and speak because they're desperate to change their diversity at the top. And they're really woke, super ethical. They're a purpose-driven business. They're a B Corp. Like they're taking absolute commitment and they're like, we don't know how to do it. And they went out shopping for a creative director and couldn't find any female candidates with the experience and hired a man. And this is a female MD. She was almost confessing her sins to me. And I said to her, I've been there. I did exactly the same. I went out to recruiters and said, you but only send me 50-50 and go and find me some women. And they just didn't have the experience, Merle. And where I might have backed somebody who could grow into the role, I couldn't get my board to buy into it. They were like, Nat, this is a six-figure salary. You want us to take that on a chance of somebody who's just at kind of DD level? Like, I was like, well, yes, I do. But we're going to then have to put systems and support in place to make sure that that woman achieves. And by the way, she can't be the only woman sitting up there in that. So that's where the complexity comes from, is that we've got historic landscape that we are trying to change. And it's going to take some time to bring through people who can challenge it. I'm a great believer in, in recruiting on potential. And I agree, it's not always possible to do. Um, and, and it can be riskier. But I would say, I've said this before, and I will say it again, that actually some of our best hires at KD have been people who on paper are not qualified to do the role. Yeah. Or, or have a, a lack of experience in the role. But I think often the tenacity and the lack of complacency and the fire in the belly that that opportunity presents to those individuals can actually really drive fantastic success. I completely agree. I completely agree. But you need to be a business that's shaped to be able to cope with that because the amount of businesses that I've seen and peers that we know that have been put in roles and hired on their potential and it's all sunny and exciting and it's all full of what we're going to work we're going to do together and then they don't support that individual and they put all of the success and failure on that person to succeed that's impossible for anybody to do look at the revolving doors of leadership roles look at how quickly men change jobs CEOs are completely disposable 
So it happens an awful lot. And actually, we need to completely change the way that we think about investing. We spend a lot of money on a hire and we expect them to be the messiah. And it's a nonsense. Nobody can live up to that. Men, women, they need to speak the truth about that. But someone in a big job, you then spend the same amount of money again after you've hired them in embedding them, coaching them and making them fit to succeed. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the new and shininess, isn't it? You know, when when somebody arrives, they're so new and shiny, and uh, and the expectation is so high. Whereas actually, it's like you say now, if if some time and effort is spent in terms of managing those expectations from all concerned and creating that support network to give those individuals the opportunity to succeed, yeah, and and maybe just accept the fact that your expectations need to be managed in terms of what they will achieve within that first six twelve months. I understand it's not always possible and you know there are situations where that that isn't occurring but there has to be more of an effort in that direction because often I think it does pay off and then ensuring that when people are in those roles supporting them and and, and having I I think the word the word that that sums up is uncomfortable conversations yeah yeah I I, I mean I did a talk on this recently and um, about uncomfortable conversations in the workplace. And there's a statistic where people voted they would rather go home and end their relationship with their partner than ask for a pay rise. <laughs> I don't think they like their partners very much. Did they? <laughs> I was like, what does that say more about how unhappy most people are in their relationships? But they would rather they would rather confront that than they would talk about money at work. That's madness. That's absolute madness. And we naturally, huh? So I was just saying that's insane. It made me yeah. think of the um, the book, which I always use as my Bible, Blair Ends, Win Without Pitching. Yeah. And one of his, his, his sort of manifesto of, uh, of uh, it's almost like the design commandments. And he, um, he, he always talks about, talk about money early and often. Yeah. I think this is a really British thing as well. I think yeah. we're just rubbish about talking about money. So I always make sure I bring it up right at the beginning and save yeah. everybody's time. I think that's absolutely right. And, and it's incumbent on us as leaders to encourage juniors to talk about money as often as they need to they're always going to get the pay rise and then you know there's, there's there's a limit to how many times they can ask but to coach them and teach them how to have those conversations is a huge issue for women negotiating salaries it's so a huge issue on that that point around individuals and sort of women who are trying to to get up that that uh, sort of ladder of leadership what and again, this is something I know that Kenny McGaff obviously does a, does a lot around. What kind of things do you think are important in terms of supporting that journey? Well, I think we've started to touch on it and it's, it's businesses taking responsibility for that. I, I've gone from saying I think leading is problematic to saying outright that it's a scourge on where the responsibility lies of solving the problem, that the onus be on the individual in to, in, in, in totalitary. It's just ridiculous. And we need to coach and train the skills that are required for leadership. I didn't, I didn't 
get out of my cot and start holding a board meeting. Like you, you have to learn these skills, but I'd rather teach somebody negotiation skills, presentation skills, and how to write a board report than I would to teach somebody how to, to be empathic or a good listener or have a consultative mindset. So for any women who are not valuing those innate skills, not all women, Lots of men I know that are also really well shaped for that kind of leadership style should see and appreciate the value of those skills. And I think that comes back to our thinking more laterally about who's right for the job, what experience looks like and what you can teach. And saying if you've got the right attitude and the right competence, then the confidence will go alongside that. So we we need to develop our people and we need to develop them early and that's not because everybody should be a leader this is what I was saying on that live the other night I mean fuck that'd be a nightmare I don't want everyone to be leading we need some people to do the actual work but if we can raise everybody to their full potential and what they're capable of we should be nurturing that from day one and I think we're quite good on grads and then we just ignore them and then we give them a coach when they're in a leadership role. It's that midweight that I'm really passionate about. That's where we're losing them, Mel. They go yeah. off and have a baby and they don't come back or they go and freelance because the hours are much more flexible and the money's better. Like that's where we're losing them and why we it's don't in, have more. It's interesting, them. isn't it? I had a conversation a few years back with um, someone who'd probably been out of, out of, sort of university two years and she was saying... Um, she was saying what a huge shock it had been because she'd gone from being in university where they're constantly being fed back to, you know, at the end of every piece of work, constantly mentored, developed, etc. And then into the working world. And and it's different, you know, I mean, you might you may have a PDP, you may have a, a you know, a sort of a monthly check in with your maybe even a weekly check in with your boss. You may have you know, you'll have an annual review, you'll have, you know, sort of quarterly check-ins maybe with your line manager's line manager whatever that that structure looks like in mm. a business but you're not getting always that constant level of feedback and I think there's probably a reticence I think it's frightening as well for those graduates to actually put themselves out of their comfort zone and, and ask for that yeah well yes because you don't I mean uncomfortable conversations because inevitably you're going to hear some criticism and we we like criticism less than we like talking about money and so the those uncomfortable conversations is is where all change happens they they are critical and you and I have never been afraid to raise those topics but there are still some people I think can I go into that territory with this person you know, there is still an editing that happens, even with those that are brave enough to talk about any subject. So I think if that was a fundamental course of how to get comfortable being uncomfortable, that would be valuable for everybody in the agency. Because also, it's not just about personnel conversations. When you're in a brainstorm and you've got an idea and you think someone calls your idea shit, You've then got to defend it. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. You might yeah. just go, actually, it was shit, and just back away from it. Like, well, what makes them right? Yeah. You yeah. Know? 
it's all subjective. And I think I think um, one of the things we spend a lot of time focusing on in Ken and Agat, which I think is really important as well, is mentoring. And and you've essentially there's three different different factors. You've got mentoring, you've got coaching, mm. and you've got sponsorship. Yeah. Now, would you explain the difference between the three for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So Ken and Agat has a mentoring program, and uh, that was defined so eloquently by uh, the one of the facilitators from the conversation space who run the program for us as a professional relationship a professional friendship and the power is shared so you are coming together and acting like peers and you are developing a relationship where the mentee is speaking and the mentor is listening and helping the mentee to make sense of their thoughts actions ideas and their direction forward coaching is a much more active relationship where the power is more the coach is more experienced and it's a teaching and learning role Um, and a sponsor is someone who is fundamentally invested in the outcomes of your career so they are going to create opportunities for you um, as well as mentor you and coach you it's much more of a hybrid role where they say I'm going to make sure you Mel get to a new position with whatever I can do using my network using my skills sharing my experience with you I'm going to champion you um, up to that next level and often those sponsors are internal Um, sometimes you can have industry sponsors so they'll you know you'll follow them wherever they go I see that an awful lot and that can be very productive so the mentoring relationship is um is is more informally structured but is more lifelong really I think coaches come in for a specific reason to train you for a specific thing yeah absolutely beautifully put Nat and I think also it's it's often the case that you'll pay a coach whereas a mentoring relationship is often um not um there's not such a sort of financial reward for example I think in the in the cunning the gap it's a kind of it used to cover our wine o'clocks after uh, our sort of you know it was a, a just a very sort of basic I think discretionary fee uh, I was, you know depending on if you were employed or freelance but it started about the 20 quid mark yeah. uh, whereas coaching is much much more um sort of structured and um and, and expensive speaking frankly yeah. than that um, and as Matt said often mentors are outside of the business that you're working in sponsors are, are often inside the business that you're working on or inside the industry but the reason I bring it up and I think it's important is I would love to see more individuals asking for mentors and sponsors and yeah. that could be asking within their business but equally the only the only mentors I've never had what I would call an, sort of an official sponsor but the only mentors that I've had have been people in our industry who have actually gone up and said to them we mentor me. Yeah, um, I haven't had it arranged ever through work. I know we do do that now for for um, some individuals in our business um, because you know I'm much more versed with it, and we spend a lot more time thinking about it now. But I think it's a really brilliant way of increasing your network, increasing the challenge in your role, increasing your sort of openness to different ways of thinking. And I think there's a huge number of people in our industry who would who would benefit from from one of those three areas. I it's just a win-win as well. And the relationship for the mentor and what they gain out of it is hugely reflective as well. I mean, it's such a win-win 
that I believe everybody should have one and everyone should have multiple throughout the course of their career. And that's where I do put the onus on the individual in a way. And the onus is on the mentee to drive the relationship because it's about them. I think that's the one to one individual. What can you do to step forward into creating opportunities? Um, How can you make sure that you're present and that you can really take advantage of the opportunities that are being created around you and the the subjects we see come up time and time again with hundreds of mentees gone through our program now it's confidence assertiveness clarity am I even doing the right job for me you know there are a lot of people who are still working that out god do you remember being in your 20s Mel what a confusing mess of a time it was a very long time ago now yeah, it wasn't that long time ago, mate. It, I, but I remember it well enough that it was, I should be this, I should be that. The, how much is that person earning? What job title have they got now? Where should I be? Do I even like this job? Am I even any good at this job? It's just an absolute tumult of those feelings all the time. But you know that time is slipping away. I spoke to a mentee this afternoon and she said, this year has just been a nightmare. It's put me so far back from my goals. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, you're so hungry still. That's amazing. I went into lockdown and was like, oh, that's great. That's cleared my diary for a few weeks. Like, but the, but that feeling of like, there's t- no time to spare. I've got to keep achieving and pushing. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. And who doesn't need some support in that period of their career to work out what they want to try and achieve? Of course, it's valuable at every stage. But I really do think about Julia as an early mid. Think, wow, how are you doing all of that? Do you know, one of the things that I've really benefited from recently as well is reverse mentoring. So I've asked um, some of the younger members of our team, the graduates and and sort of a few years out of uni to um, to reverse mentor me. So they, you know, I have these very, um, you know, very interesting, just incredibly um, thought provoking sessions with them where they'll, you know, they'll say, actually, you know, you're thinking this, but this is this is how I see it. And I'm like, shit yeah get it now I understand where they're coming from so I think I think that's a really brilliant tool to um to engage with and another thing I think which actually our industry could really benefit from is more peer-to-peer mentoring so whether that's inside um people's businesses but also externally across the industry because we don't have much in the way of um professional interaction with other agencies so I think it's something that we really need to get better at that's a really good point. And I and again, it's something that I do sit in an ivory tower of experience around because I kind of in the gap forces me to be networked. Like it only existed because I had a network that I had built that it could come out of the back of and how much I value my relationships with my peers. But it takes a great level of vulnerability and confidence to say to your competitor. I don't think I'm very good at this thing and for them to come towards it and go I'm not sure I'm brilliant at it either or actually this is my area of weakness that I really want to work on and you'd think that women would be brilliant at that we're more predisposed to that shape of conversation not so we've been taught to compete with one another that's why it doesn't happen we've had a query in uh, one of our chapters of venturing through the back door, through a Gmail address, our business won't support the three women who want to go on the programme because they are 
compet directly competitive of our host agency and they think it would be a conflict of interest to come closer to your business but it, it's stopping us from accessing the program like so how, the business they work for somebody messaged you and said the business they work for wouldn't wouldn't pay for them to do the mentoring can yeah. you just message them back now and tell them we're not going to charge them anything <laughs> no I'm going to make them pay I said to do tell them the money comes to me so <laughs> the but the, that rivalry between agencies is long ingrained and pretty yeah. dyed in the wool. Yeah, and, and I think it's probably worth worth just just for our listeners just just explaining. So the way that the mentoring scheme, the way that we set it up, is each of the hubs, each of the cohorts all over the country, has a sort of a home in one of the local agencies. Yeah. And the reason we've done this is because, well, in the olden days when we used to meet face to face and see each other in three D. It was quite useful to have a space free of charge to do this. And there's a bit of admin attached and there's a bit of wine to be drunk. And there's, you know, there's there's various bits and bobs that need a bit of resource. So the agencies um, and the homes of these local cohorts are not benefiting in any way whatsoever. They're being altruistic yeah. in terms of giving their time, location and um, and often resources free of charge. Yeah, and it's an amazing contribution. And we couldn't, we genuinely couldn't run the scheme without it. It's completely everybody who's in a senior role. I've given all of my time in the last five years for absolutely nothing. And I've been fortunate from all the generosity of the agencies that have supported the scheme. So it's the agencies that fund everything. Um, and yeah, but yet, even still, in a completely altruistic move, there could still be competitive attitudes between agencies when we're trying to change the shape of of how things happen so that's not common that doesn't happen mm -hmm. often but it does still happen and we should have more peer-to-peer peer -peer. and it might be something that we need to think about actually well from a kerning the gap point of view of how we create that network yeah. I mean we we talk we introduced a a kind of saying at KD a few years back um, which was always act honourably, even when no one is looking. Yeah. And that is a really hard thing to do. It shouldn't be, but it is. I'm being, I'm being very honest now. It's a hard thing to do because no one else is playing by those rules. Yeah. But you have to do it because ultimately, well, A, it helps you sleep at night. Mm. But B, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to set a... A, you know a, a kind of a benchmark somewhere along the line we've got to say right this is how we want it to be and and this is the respect that goes alongside that and without that we're just going to descend into kind of some massive bun fights which is not going to help anybody no and it'll be a race to the bottom is what which is what happens to design agencies they just go on fee cutting yeah. um and it's a nonsense because you can only cut fees if you cut quality and who wants to do that? So actually, I had a question for you, um, Merle, in terms of the lack of diversity in industrial design options. Surely clients are starting to make that more uncomfortable. Like the RFPs, the big brands that you work with, surely they are starting to demand ethical transparency and demonstrations of diversity. There are some examples who are. Um, so we work a lot with RB and I know in their last pitch process a couple of years ago it was it was um it was sort of a focal point within that. Um, they wanted to understand female male representation, broader diversity across the business. I have heard of 
of some other companies that are demanding it. Um, it, it doesn't to me feel like it, sh it has the amount of focus that it should do within um, industrial design. I had an, in an interesting conversation with a, um, a female uh, founder of a femcare business, actually, what's kind of femtech business. And she had gone to us and, you know, around sort of half a dozen businesses um, of sort of, you know, our competitive set and um, and had specifically sort of with this femcare, femtech product. And she said that we were the only, only um, company who put uh, a woman, who had a woman in the room. So we didn't put a room. I think we were all women in the room, to be fair, on that, on that one. But um, but she, so she also told me responses that she had where she'd asked about how many women there were in the team and, and people had sort of gone, oh, I need to think about that and sort of gone away and 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 come back thinking, you know, maybe there's like, I don't know, half, a, you know, whatever it is. Um, mm. But in, she said in that particular instance that they came back with an answer saying there was there was I think three women in the team, which was the admin assistant, the receptionist and the marketing manager. Mm. So none in the delivery team at all. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of, I think I also I've also heard of instances I was chatting to someone the other week who said that when they did their internship and they were the only women in the design studio business of 20 people um, that she would have brought into meetings. Yeah, I can believe projects that, that she wasn't working on. Yeah, just sit there and have a vagina, basically. <laughs> I'm really good at doing that. I'm excellent at that. I'm really consistent at that. But so, you know, that you know, there are there are clearly challenges. But I think you know it, what what's important is that we start having those uncomfortable conversations and and start engaging with it and looking at how we can actually make this different. Um, and and I'd like to think that we will see more clients thinking about it. Um, you know how I don't know. I mean, there are procurement processes, but equally, if all businesses are the same, yeah. then um, then you know they're they're going to compromise on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it enables them to compromise on it as well, yeah. doesn't it? Because it says, well, look, there's a level playing field. There's the same percentages and in each in each age. And I'm not I'm not you know coming at this from a position of power. We are not fifty fifty in our in our team we're 40 percent women and we're not where we want to be in terms of our you know of some of our disciplines um others we're we're, we're there so you know it's a it's an ongoing an ongoing challenge mm. and we haven't got all the answers and and we haven't um you know we're not sort of putting ourselves out there as shining examples but we want to have the conversation with the industry we want to have that conversation with our clients 85 percent of consumer products are bought by women 50 billion dollars is going to be invested in femtech by 2025 you know i know we're not talking commercial commercial arguments here but there clearly is one there but there is one there and the point is we have the power of the purse but nowhere else so who's meeting our needs we're consumers as well frustrated by the fact that we don't have the representation of the products that we're spending money on so I want to really acknowledge though what you're saying well it is a journey and one of the things that's really important to Kerning the Gap it's also the way important to the way that KD does business is that we act and come at it from a place of honesty and say it's really hard being a business owner this stuff costs money and it takes loads of time and the answers are not easy 
and often the talent isn't there and you have to do the work and it's consistent and it's every day and it's tiring and it can be really exhausting as well. I remember the very first Kerning the Gap event and this amazing woman put her hand up and said, I've got an eight person business and three of my women are about to go off on maternity leave at the same time. I will make no profit for two years. And she said, and I want, I want to keep hiring women in their early 30s, but it's, I'm finding it really hard. And I was like, speak the truth on that. That's true. That hurts a business. But, but there are solutions because it is about how the shape of work looks and what the run up to that handover period looks like and are you coming back to work when and being able to have that uncomfortable conversation legislation has done a lot to hurt our ability to have open conversations about how we manage some of this tougher family life stuff in in businesses and it's certainly in agencies where we don't have any hr teams we don't have anybody to hide behind thank goodness but we're not qualified to have these conversations either just going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, those challenges and, and expectations that we put ourselves uh, you know, on our careers and what we want to achieve when we're in our 20s. Mm-hmm. And, and I did exactly that. There, um, but careers do not go like this. Careers go like this, <laughs> you know. You know you're on a podcast, Mel. I, I have two kids. I, I, you know, I took, I took six months off with each. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it put me back a few years, yes but I kept going. So I, I don't buy into this, you know, I mean, yeah, it is a disadvantage, it can be a disadvantage, but I don't buy into this, it's all or nothing. It kind of, the point, it kind of goes back to the point that you were making about the uh, sort of impetus on the businesses. Yeah, definitely. To change the expectation and the shape of what being at work and delivering value looks like as well because the amount of actual uptake in shared parental leave, the number, the woefully small number of people doing job shares, the number of people who say they have flexible working, then they make that completely impossible for people to actually deliver. So there's a lot of people saying and doing the right, saying the right things, putting the right systems in place, but actually you have to support, like hiring for potential, you have to support every initiative that you put in place just putting unlimited holidays in place or four-day weeks or flexible working isn't enough you have to change your entire environment so that that can be successful yeah it's a wholesale commitment to this stuff it's brilliant brilliant words Matt and um I was going to I was I was thinking when I was thinking about how we would stretch this earlier I was thinking about do we want to kind of go into the reasons as to why it's so important and and I, I you know my uh, my business partner Craig I, I I spoke to Melanie I said so Craig tell me why is diversity and equality important and he just looked at me like I was stupid <laughs> and he just he just looked at me and and he just turned around and walked away <laughs> he was just like don't be such a thicky so I thought rather than actually going to the reasons that he gave me when I chased after him. <laughs> I thought that was a really a really good way to uh, to kind of share it. But Nat, come on, let's have a last rallying call from you because you do the best rallying calls of anyone I know. <laughs> well, I just had one. I was just thinking about as I was starting to really rant there about 
we have to you know support these initiatives and and get behind them um and and do the work and commit to it um and my rally cry is to the industry is on us it's on leaders we're we're empowered can't just keep saying to women you well, I want to empower you money is power decision making is power you know this is with great power comes great responsibility and yes I just quoted Star Wars for my rally cry but that is the point is that I believe individuals are doing the best that they can if they're not fire them so if you've got good people in your business, they're doing the best that they can with what they know how to do. You need to put these systems in place and support them. And that peer-to-peer, -peer, come and share those stories and why it's hard, because we get it. We really, really, really get it. Believe you me, Mel and I have hours and hours of and bottles and bottles of wine that speak to the frustration of managing teams. It's true. There's always a lot of talk about wine in our podcasts, Matt. And none today. I suppose it's a bit early. I did. I did actually. I was wandering through the office earlier going, do you think it would look unprofessional if I was drinking whilst on a podcast? And I came to the conclusion it probably would. It is a Friday evening. So just if anyone's listening out there and thinks it's just a Tuesday at 11am, it's not. It's, uh, it's Friday and it's nearly wine o'clock. But despite that, um, I am on the water. Well, I mean, my final sign off is actually a threat. So if you really want to rally cry, I can really go You're for it. But, for them, Matt. You're coming for them. Yeah, I am. I'm coming for you. No, you're not going to get the talent. So don't change your business if you don't want to. If it's too hard and it's too long and it's too expensive. I do get that. But in which case, plan to shut up shop in 15 years. Because the new talent that is the only thing that gives your agency value won't come. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I was having exactly that conversation. I said, I think there's two things as an industry that we really need to focus on, and that is diversity and sustainability. And if we don't get to the top of our game on those two things, our businesses are not going to be worth diddly squat. Yeah. It's really, really important. We need to become a mirror reflection of the world that we are designing for. So. Yeah. There's there's some good uh, good final words. Thank you so much, Nat. As always, an absolute pleasure. Um, Nat and I are thinking of continuing our podcasting relationship. So more news on that to follow. Um, but thank you, and yeah, do get in contact with us um, via LinkedIn if you have any comments or thoughts, or you'd like to pick up the conversation further with us. Thanks, Nat. Thanks so much, Mo. And can I just say as a sign off how excited I am about XX equals? I'd say that because you're my friend anyway, but in my professional capacity, um, I think you will be um, highlighting an issue that has been long understood and long accepted and it should be accepted no more. But also, I think what KD will do as the pioneers of that is work with their peers to work out how they get better at it. You want the change for the industry, not just for the agency. And that's why it has my full and unbridled support. Thank you, Nat. We really do. So I really hope that, that people will get in contact, get on board, and collectively we can all make things better. Brilliant. Thank you, Nat. You're so welcome. Thanks, Nat. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening, please rate, review and subscribe and keep your eyes peeled for our next episode.